Excited for the opportunity to share with you all this morning. It's a standalone message, if you will, so not part of a series, just something that we're going to get an opportunity to talk about this week, and we'll be talking about something a little bit different next week. But again, excited for the opportunity that we have to just uh, be together this morning and to share with you for a few moments this morning. Now, on uh, Wednesday of this week, so just a few days ago, I uh, went to a local Starbucks here in town in order to continue my preparation for this morning's message to do a little bit of writing uh, and just kind of found like, hey, I can throw the earbuds in and, and at a Starbucks, that environment, kind of that like white noise behind you, a little bit of activity around you, uh, that doesn't bother me. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to go to Starbucks and, and study for a few hours. And when I got there, like most Starbucks on uh, any, any morning, really, uh, it was crowded. There weren't many seats left. In fact, there was only a handful. Um, and so I was able, though, to find a seat at one of those tall cafe tables, right? Kind of like the bar stool type seating and, and a taller table. And, and I got to say, I think those types of chairs were invented so to cut off blood flow to your legs. Right? I mean, it doesn't really matter how long you're sitting in them, or it doesn't take long before you, like, I, I can't feel my legs. They're starting to get a little tingly, right? And, and you got to be careful when you go to get off of those types of chairs because you don't know if your legs are going to get about on you, right? You, you don't know if your legs are just going to, like, whoop, and you're just going to drop down and have a pretty embarrassing moment in the middle of a coffee shop. And so, you better believe when I saw somebody get up out of their comfy chair at Starbucks, right, out of the, the bench seat that they were sitting on that had a, a lovely pad, I proceeded to grab all of my stuff and move, right? And I, I began to, to set up shop in that Starbucks. Um, I began to set up shop, and I had, you know, a few different commentaries, and, and so I set up a bunch of these big books to make myself look intelligent. Um, it's funny, when people think you have big books, they automatically assume you're in college. Um, and so I had a few of those conversations, but I set myself up, uh, made myself comfortable, and, and had a seat with all of my things there on the table in front of me. Has anybody else done that? Just gone to move to a comfier chair? I'm the only one. That's all right, though. I don't mind. That's all right. You know, and then we, I proceeded, you know, we do that kind of thing because we want to be comfortable. And I figured, hey, I have this robe that I could wear this morning. I'm going to put it on, right? Because I want to be comfortable. I mean, at the end of the day, who doesn't like to be comfortable? It's not like anybody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? Today I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to do everything I can to make myself uncomfortable today. We thought it would have been fun for me to start in the road, maybe wear some shorts and a deep V to make you guys think, does he have anything on, right? That would have been a little bit uncomfortable, right? But no one, no one gets up in a pursuit of being uncomfortable, right? Because as human beings, it doesn't matter who we are, as human beings, we have this natural tendency to pursue comfort or to choose comfort. I mean, if you don't believe me, just consider all of the things that are marketed to us in order to make us or our lives more comfortable, right? Whether, whether it's a product or some kind of experience. Perhaps the, the prime example of that is those sleep number beds, right? I mean, you don't even have to be on the same mattress as your spouse per se, right? They can have their own number, I can have my own number, and whether it's super firm like you're sleeping on the floor or like you're sleeping on a waterbed, you can create an experience for optimal comfort. 
And there's so many different things, whether it's a product, again, or an experience, that is marketed to us to make us more comfortable. And so that got me thinking. How many of the decisions that we make on a regular basis are affected by our desire to be comfortable? Right? How much does our comfort determine the decisions that we make? Think about the choice of what you eat, right? I like to eat spicy food. And growing up, it was probably because my dad grew up in Central America, and so this was just kind of something that he was putting spicy food in front of me, and so I, I came to like it over the years. But, but now I think twice before I have spicy food, right? Now I think twice because I may enjoy it at the beginning, but I know I will pay for it later, right? And so how much discomfort do I really want to be in later? And so that process, right, my comfort has an effect on what I choose to eat. It has also comfort has an effect on how much we have to eat, right? Thanksgiving is just a few days away, and you know we're all going to be sitting around a table on Thanksgiving looking at all of this food, We've already going to have had our first plate, and then there's going to be that moment where we look at all the food. I'd, I'd really like some more sweet potatoes. I'd really like some more turkey or stuffing. And then we're going to get to that point, and it's like, hmm, do I eat this and feel uncomfortable, or do I just stay content with where I'm at? Now, some of us, right, probably myself included, we're just going to throw caution to the wind and say, keep going, right? Keep going. We'll deal with the discomfort later. But it affects how much we eat. It even affects the furniture that we buy. Aaron and I, we had this futon in our living room for years. Futons are not a comfortable couch, nor is it a comfortable bed, right? I don't know why that piece of furniture even exists. It's terrible, right? And so eventually, we replaced this futon with a couch that was more comfortable. See, comfort affects a lot of different things. It affects the clothes that we wear. It affects how we set our thermostats. It, it, it affects even what we wear on a Sunday morning, knowing it's going to be freezing cold inside the church, right? It affects whether or not we exercise, right? I mean, no pain, no pain, right? That could be our motto, no pain, no pain. It affects where we sit on a Sunday morning. It certainly affects the fact that we leave an open seat in the theater so we don't have to sit next to strangers. It definitely affects our decision to pray whenever we're on a Southwest flight that no one will sit in the open seat next to you. God, put a veil over their eyes. Don't let them see this open seat next to me, right? We've all been there. See, our comfort affects what we do. It affects who or what we say. It affects who we talk to. Our comfort affects so many of the decisions that we make. And the reality is we want to be comfortable because being comfortable is awesome. It just feels right. However, does there come a point in time when pursuing comfort is no longer beneficial? Does there come a point in time when pursuing comfort is, is not actually even beneficial anymore, but it's, it's not even right. You see, if you don't mind, I want to share a concern of mine with you this morning. I wonder if the church in America has become more focused on the couch than the cross. I wonder if, if we, if you and I, have become more focused on our comfort than our relationship with Jesus or our pursuit 
of Jesus. I wonder if we're putting our comfort ahead of who God wants us to be and what he wants us to do. You see, again, I believe we have this natural tendency to pursue comfort, to choose comfort. And, and comfort isn't inherently evil. It's not like the Bible says those who are comfortable are going to hell, right? No. No, the, the Bible doesn't say that. However, you've got to wonder, does our pursuit of comfort come at the expense of our spiritual growth? Are there times when my choice to be comfortable is keeping me from becoming more like Jesus? Is my avoidance of anything that would make me uncomfortable resulting in stunted spiritual growth? P.T. Barnum, the founder of Barnum and Bailey Circus, once said, comfort, the enemy of progress. See, Barnum's not a theologian, and I, I would even be surprised if he had spiritual matters in mind when he made that statement, but he might be on to something. You see, because unfortunately, the pursuit of comfort often leads to complacency. When comfort becomes the driving force behind our decisions, we become comfortable or content with the status quo. We, we no longer see that there's something that might be better for us. There's something that might be, be out there that we should be pursuing, but we get stuck in our comfort. We've seen this play out time and time again. How many businesses get comfortable and then complacent and then fail? How many sports teams get comfortable with their success, get complacent and then fail? How many marriages get comfortable, complacent, and fail? You see, I can't help but wonder, has the American church gotten comfortable and complacent? Has LifePoint gotten comfortable and complacent? Have you and I gotten comfortable and complacent? Perhaps we're starting to feel a little uncomfortable right now. And while our pursuit of comfort, again, it comes naturally to us, a pursuit of Jesus and God's will for our lives it's what's modeled in Scripture. Go ahead and open up your Bibles or turn in your Bible app, navigate in your Bible app to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And while turning there, allow me to provide you with a little bit of background to kind of share with you what's been going on in this book up until this point of Matthew chapter 14. See, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus calls the first of the 12 disciples. And among those is Peter, who was a fisherman. And Peter and his brother Andrew uh, were called by Jesus to follow him, and they left their nets and immediately followed Jesus. And from that point on, they had a front row seat to Jesus' ministry. They heard his revolutionary and captivating messages. They witnessed Jesus heal people who were dealing with severe pain. They saw Jesus heal those who had leprosy. They were present when he healed those who were paralyzed. In Matthew chapter 8, the disciples were with Jesus on a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee when they were fearing for their lives because the storm had swept up and they were scared that they were going to drown. And they called out to Jesus to save them and he spoke to the winds and the waves. And the storm quit and everything was calm. And they witnessed his power in that moment. 
The disciples were present when Jesus fed 5,000 plus people with only five loaves of bread and two fish. And it's right after that miracle of feeding the 5,000 that we pick up this story in Matthew chapter 14. See, right after this miracle, Jesus begins dismissing the crowds, all those who had gathered to hear him speak, and then to, to, they were ultimately fed. And he dismisses the crowd, and then he tells the disciples, hey, I want you guys to get in a boat and head over to the other side of the lake. I'll, I'll, I'll meet you over there at some point. But the disciples were having a hard time getting to the other side of the lake because there's this strong wind that had swept up, and, and now they were trying to row their boat directly into the wind. And so they were having trouble. Progress was slow. And eventually, after Jesus had spent some time in prayer, they say it was about 3 to 6 a.m., somewhere in that window in the morning, that Jesus begins walking on the water out to where the disciples were on this boat. Follow along as I read Matthew chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. One family vacation when I was a kid uh, growing up, we, we visited the Royal Gorge in Colorado. I don't know if you've ever been there. I think there's going to be on a screen. Yeah, there it is. Right There's this massive suspension bridge. It's 1,053 feet above the Arkansas River, the highest suspension bridge in the world. You should know that I am scared of heights. I do not appreciate heights whatsoever. If I'm strapped in a roller coaster or can't move, I'm okay with that. But you ask me to do anything, fine motor skills, or just walk when I'm up high, it's going to be a struggle. And so you can imagine my discomfort when I found out that part of this tourist attraction is, oh, you just walk across the bridge, right? It's fun. Everybody's doing it. I was even less comfortable when I saw that this road was made of wood. Well, that doesn't seem all right. And not only was it made of wood, but you could see through the slats all the way down. It's not cool, right? That is not cool. The safest thing for me to do in that moment would have been to stay put, right? To just stay on solid ground. Besides, I did not feel the need to risk wetting my pants that day. And so I was like, you know what, guys? Hey, you guys go on ahead. I'll just chill over here, and it'll, it'll be all fine. Um, I got to tell you, it probably took me like 45 minutes to cross that bridge. I was just like moving so slowly, right? My family's like down and back a few times. I was like, nope. Um, just straight and head up, right? Not looking around anywhere. Certainly, right, in, in a similar way, the most comfortable thing for the disciples to do in this situation in Matthew chapter 14 is to stay in the boat. They'd been rowing for hours. I'm sure they were tired. They were terrified at what they thought they had seen with this ghost. And the size of these waves would have been significant due to the strong wind. All of that would have been enough for me to stay in the boat where it was safe and comfortable. And we know that's what the majority of the disciples do. They stay in the boat where it's safe. But Peter has something else in mind. He calls out to Jesus, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Now, unfortunately, we don't know Peter's thought process here, right? Like, did this guy actually think he could walk on water? That sounds a little odd. That sounds a little crazy. And if you've ever read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and just kind of focus on Peter, you're like, ah, oh, this isn't the last time he's going to do something that's a little odd or a little crazy, right? That's just kind of the reputation he has in Scripture. 
But perhaps what's even more surprising is Jesus' response to this question. It's not like he says, whoa, whoa, Peter, you know, take it easy, man. I'm on my way to the boat. Let me just get in. Take it easy over there, right? No, he, he doesn't say that. He tells Peter, come. What? Come. Can you imagine what's going through Peter's head when he hears Jesus tell him to come, right? You, you got to wonder, like, if he instantly regrets speaking up in that situation. Like, mm, shouldn't have done that, right? Should have kept my mouth shut now, right? And so you, you got to wonder, like, man, this is somewhat concerning. But to his credit, right, but to his credit, Peter doesn't try to backtrack. It's not like he says, oh, you know, Jesus on second thought, oh, I'm good right here. He doesn't do that. And so imagine how he feels as he's making way, his way to the edge of the boat and he begins to climb out. Put one foot on the water. I gotta believe it was this mixture of fear and adrenaline and excitement. And then it happens. Verse 29 goes on to say, Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. What an incredible, life-changing experience that must have been. And of the 12 disciples, he was the only one to get out of the boat and share that experience with Jesus. And it must have been amazing. He was walking on water. But the question remains, what was it that allowed Peter to get out of the boat? Right? What was it that allowed Peter to get out of the boat? How was he able to leave his safe and comfortable seat on this boat and walk on water? Was it ignorance? Was it stupidity? Right? Was it just pure insanity? you got to wonder if any of the other disciples were like, uh, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, what are you even talking about right now? What are you doing? What allows Peter to get out of the boat? The short answer is his faith. You see, in this instance, Peter isn't driven by a desire to be comfortable. Rather, he's driven by his faith in Jesus. Remember all that Peter has witnessed while following Jesus. The sick were being healed. The vision of the, was restored to the blind. The lame could now walk. And when, it, when his life was in jeopardy back in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus calmed a storm with his words. And he just saw Jesus feed 5,000 plus people with almost nothing. You see, Peter was well aware of Jesus' power. He was well aware that this guy, Jesus, was special. That he was different. And Peter gets out of the boat because he knows and recognizes Jesus for who he is, the Son of God. You see, Peter has faith that Jesus is who he says he is and that, he will, that he's going to do everything he promised to do. And it's that faith that allows Peter to step out of the boat and onto the water. And certainly Peter is to be commended for setting aside his comfort in order to pursue Jesus. I mean, obviously stepping out of the boat would have been a new experience and probably pretty scary as well. But that doesn't keep him from taking this bold step. And while Peter's courage is worth mentioning, this story is about much more than that. See, Matthew doesn't include this story in his gospel so that we'll be in awe of Peter. 
He includes it in his story, his gospel, so that we'll be in awe of Jesus. After all, it's, it's Jesus' power and his identity as the Son of God that makes this whole situation possible. If Matthew wanted us to be in awe of Peter, he probably wouldn't have included the next couple of verses. Check out verses 30, uh, 30 and 31. It says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? You see, as soon as Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus, what happens? What happens? He sinks, right? He sinks. He drops like a rock. As soon as Peter loses focus on Jesus, fear and doubt set in. And once again, he must call out to Jesus to save him. You see, this isn't about Peter's courage. He could have all the strength, ability, bravado in the world, but without Jesus' help, he's going to sink every time. The key component is Peter's faith in Jesus. Peter was able to step out of the boat into faith, into an uncomfortable situation, not because of his own courage, but because of who Jesus is. Perhaps you've heard this song, You Make Me Brave. It's by Bethel Music and, and Amanda Cook, and, and I love the bridge of that song. It drives home the point we're talking about right now. She sings, you make me brave. You make me brave. You call me out beyond the shore into the waves. You make me brave. No fear can hinder now the promises you've made. You see, when Peter fixed his eyes on Jesus, he was able to step out of the boat and obey Jesus' command to come. And in the same way, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we too can step out of the boat and live in obedience to him, even when it's uncomfortable. Why? Because it's not about whether or not I can do it. It's not about whether I have enough. It's not about whether or not I'm brave. It's not about me at all. It's about putting our faith and trust in Jesus, the one who heals, the one who restores, the one who gives sight to the blind, the one who allows the lame to walk, the one who raises people from the dead, the one who was died and buried and rose again three days later. You see, left to myself, I will always sink every single time. But thanks be to God who calls us out, who invites us to come and step out onto the water in faith. And not only step out in faith, but walk. Walk toward him. You see, ultimately, I believe we fail to take steps of obedience because we're too focused on our comfort. We're too focused on how that step of obedience is going to impact us. We're worried about our safety. We're worried about our finances. We're worried about the unknown. In other words, our pursuit of comfort is greater than our pursuit of Jesus. We would rather stay in the boat where it's safe. KB, a Christian rapper, he wrote a song called Crowns and Thorns. And in one of the lines, he asks the question, who's in more danger, the persecuted or the comfortable? Who's actually in more danger, 
the persecuted or the comfortable. And obviously, this wasn't to diminish or trivialize those who are being persecuted. Obviously, they are in real danger. But when it comes to our spiritual growth, who's in more danger? The persecuted or the comfortable? You see, unfortunately, and maybe you've never realized this, there is a cost to our comfort. There's a cost to our comfort. Our desire to be comfortable usually keeps us comfortable. It keeps us where we feel like everything is going to be okay. It prevents us from stepping out of our comfort zone. But when that happens, we fail to grow. And like we said at the beginning, comfort is the enemy of progress. When we're always comfortable, we'll never find ourselves in a situation that requires us to depend on God. We're going to feel like we can do it ourselves every single time. We rob ourselves of the opportunity to grow. But of course, that's not what Jesus wants for us, right? And Jesus gives us the same invitation he gave to Peter. Come. Come. Take a step of faith. He invites us to live our lives pursuing him. He invites us to step out of our comfort zone so we can experience him in fresh, new ways. He invites us to get out of our comfort zone, to get off the couch so we can grow in our faith. And when we step out in faith, when we're willing to be uncomfortable, not only will we benefit, but others are going to benefit as well. Check out Matthew uh, 14, verses 32 and 33. It says, And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. See, even though Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and he started to fall into the water that day, I think it's safe to say that Peter's faith grew. Of course, he still had plenty of more growing to do, but he's literally moving in the right direction toward Jesus. And in addition to Peter, I believe the faith of those who remained in the boat that day was strengthened as well. See, Peter's decision to step out in faith allowed the disciples to witness the power of Jesus on display. And as a result, everyone in the boat worshipped him and declared him to be the Son of God. Not necessarily because Peter walked on water, but because they saw who Jesus is. Once again, he's blowing their minds, doing something miraculous. And these guys who are continually doubting him, not sure of who he really is, one of the first times in the Gospels they say, truly, he must be the Son of God. Their faith is growing because somebody else took a step of faith. And in case you're not convinced that your choice to pursue the couch or the cross has an impact on others, well, let me remind you of one other example or one other passage of Scripture where we see that to be true. You see, following the Passover meal, what we know as the Last Supper, Jesus gathers with his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane. And prior to being betrayed by Judas, one of his own, and arrested by the authorities, what does Jesus do? Does anybody remember? What does he do? No one knows? What does he do? What does Jesus spend time doing? He prays, right? And that's not unusual. Jesus is always praying. He was spending time in prayer right before he came, walking out onto the water. So this isn't unusual. But what is he praying about? Allow me to read a couple of verses from Matthew 26, specifically verses 38 and 39. 
Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Why is Jesus so troubled? And and what is he talking about? What is this cup he's referring to? Well, the word cup is sometimes used as a metaphor for God's judgment in the Old Testament. You see, Jesus knows what's about to happen to him. He knows that he's about to be betrayed, arrested, uh, insulted, punched, spit on, humiliated, beaten, and crucified. And not only that, for the very first time, he's going to be separated from his father. His relationship with him is going to be severed but for a moment as he takes on every sin known to mankind. Jesus knows it's about to get very uncomfortable. And so he prays. He prays to God to see if there's any other way to bring about salvation. If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. See, even Jesus wasn't thrilled about being uncomfortable. But the next sentence he prays is what's remarkable. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Even when facing the most uncomfortable and daunting circumstances, something far more uncomfortable than you and I will ever experience here on earth. He puts God's will ahead of his own comfort. A few verses later, he prays once more and submits himself to God's will. Yet again, in verse 42, it says, He went away a second time and prayed, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken from me, unless I drink it, may your will be done. And he does this a total of three times. See, none of us were in the garden that day. None of us were even alive. And yet we benefited greatly from Jesus' willingness to put aside his own comfort in order to be obedient to Jesus. And in the hours following his time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus suffered and died on the cross for our sins so that we can be saved. You see, when we choose comfort, not only is there a cost to us, but somebody else may miss out too. And aren't you glad that Jesus chose obedience over comfort. And perhaps you hear all this and you're wondering, well, should our goal be to live in this constant state of discomfort? I mean, as Christians, is it wrong to be comfortable? And the answer is no. The answer is no. The goal is not to live in a constant state of discomfort and suffering. We don't need to seek out persecution or hardship. It's not wrong to be comfortable. However, When we have the opportunity to step out in faith and obedience and it requires us to be uncomfortable, we shouldn't run from it. We shouldn't run from it. And unfortunately, that's what we tend to do. We do do everything we can to shield ourselves from this discomfort. But that may in fact be a tool that God is using in our lives to help us to become more like him. We see that in the life of Paul in 1 Corinthians 12. There's this thorn in his flesh, but, but God didn't say, oh, okay, Paul, I'm going to take this away from you. I'm going to remove your discomfort. He doesn't do that. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. I got your back. I'll carry you through this situation. First Corinthians chapter, or excuse me, Second Corinthians chapter 1, uh, uh, it's all about how God comforts us. 
I would encourage you to read it. See, in our discomfort, God comforts us. He's not going to remove that comfort necessarily, but he will comfort us. And maybe some of you have embraced the discomfort when it comes in your life because you know it's going to produce spiritual growth. And so if you're in a season of discomfort or persecution or hardship, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Don't look at the waves around you. Look at Jesus and know that his grace is sufficient for you. And you can turn to him for, discom- for comfort. So what about you? Are you more focused on the couch or the cross? Are you more concerned about living in comfort or living in obedience to Jesus? And I would imagine that there's an area of our lives in which God is inviting you to come, to step out in faith and follow him. And it could be that God is calling you to step out in faith when it comes to living out one of our uh, values here at LifePoint. Maybe it's introducing people to Jesus and he's saying, hey, you've been quiet long enough. It's time to start telling people about me. Maybe it's growing in your relationship with God, taking ownership of your faith, setting aside time for you to pour into that relationship. And not just assuming, oh, I'm going I'm to grow because I go to church once a week. It could be that when it comes to growing your relationship with God that you need to start making sacrifices which will be uncomfortable so that you can get your finances in order and start managing your money in the way that God wants you to. It could be that God is calling you as a man, as a husband, as a father, as the spiritual leader of your home to get off of your spiritual butt and start leading your family toward Jesus because the reality is that your kids have about 18 years at home when you can shape them when you can tell them the significance of pointing them to Jesus. And so where are you leading them? Where are you leading them? Maybe it's you need to connect with others. You need to step out in faith. You need to lower your walls and let people in. You don't just need to come here and then zip on out. You need to start doing some things around here so that people can get to know you and you can get to know other people. Because the Bible says we need one another. And Lone Ranger Christianity doesn't work out too well. Maybe God is calling you to put the needs of others ahead of your own. To make a difference in someone's life, but you know that's going to require you to step out of your comfort zone in order to do that. See, God is inviting all of us to come. And my hope and prayer for our church is that we're not going to place our comfort ahead of our pursuit of Jesus. There's enough churches who are doing that. My hope and prayer is that we're going to embrace opportunities to live in obedience to Jesus, even when it means we're going to be uncomfortable. And that we'll remember that we're not the only ones who are affected when we choose comfort over obedience. So let's step out in faith.